0: So Holy Spirit, use that passage of Scripture these next few minutes to help us know how we can receive and give away your joy wherever we are or whatever's going on. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good to see all of you here. Those of you who figured out how to set your clocks ahead of time, that's awesome. Not my favorite Sunday of the year. I'm sure it's not your favorite Sunday of the year either, but we get it back in the fall, which is always the good news. Uh, When my wife and I first moved here from California, we came in December, and we were from California, so we were used to the sun, so it was a little bit of a shock at first. But then after a few months, there was this beautiful sunny day in February, and we took our kids outside, and my son was about two at the time, and he looked up at the sun, and he started to cry, and he said, what is it? What is it? We felt like exiles from the land of sunshine. I want to start with a question for you. Do you ever feel in exile in some way? Maybe it's a job that you don't like or maybe you're in some kind of difficult situation, a health problem. Maybe it's a relationship that's difficult and it doesn't feel like home. Where do you feel like you're in exile? Or maybe you just don't like living here, whatever it is. And the scripture that Dana just read, I think, gives hope that even in those places, we can still find joy, not even in spite of those difficult places, but actually even through those difficult places. And the context is that the first Christians were kind of huddled up together in Jerusalem, and at first they enjoyed a lot of popularity, but then a man named Stephen is killed because the religious leaders of his day are worried about this new Jesus movement. And it says that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So they're in exile, in places they do not want to be. The apostles are stuck in Jerusalem where there's a persecution going on. And, 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 and the rest are scattered into foreign countries. But the result is that Christianity grows. Those left in Jerusalem go deeper in their faith. Those who were scattered carry the good news about Jesus into foreign countries for the first time, showing that we are carriers of the kingdom wherever we go. Now, I know that phrase, kingdom of God, can be a little bit mysterious. It's basically when up there comes down here. It's when relationships are strong, when the poor are given a hand up instead of a hand out, when there's connection to God and great friendships and adventure and meaning and lots of joy. And the disciples are infected with this kingdom. They are carriers of it. And so the result is that up there, starts coming down here, wherever they go, all the way around the world. And the passage ends by saying, so there was great joy, not just ordinary joy, great joy in the city, joy in the city. It starts with persecution, but it ends with joy. And that's the promise. That if you're in a job you hate or a relationship that's hard or a health problem or just some place that you don't want to be, God can bring you and others joy not in spite of that difficulty but through it. In this story, the persecution led to the scattering which led to the joy. Now, important caveat. I'm not saying that if you're in a difficult place in life for whatever reason, I'm not just saying you're stuck there so make the best of it and good luck and let's stand for the benediction. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes we have to get out of a job or a relationship, or a situation that is not healthy. Sometimes we need to make a change. But even then, God can still speak to you and bring his kingdom through you, even if it's just to help use that hard time to get you closer to him so he can lead you to a different place. Which is why it is so important to stay connected to Jesus. It's one of the reasons we're doing the Immerse Conference at the end of this month. A whole weekend led by our staff and volunteers to help us connect with Jesus. And let me just show you a few of the sessions. Right? Discernment 101. I, anyone need discernment? I, that would be a good thing. How do you hear God's voice? Prayer warriors. Men at prayer. Because, you know, lots of times, guys, it's just the women doing the praying, which is awesome, but we need to be praying too. Pray when you don't know how and lots, lots more to help us connect with Jesus so that in hard places we can discern whether he's calling us to stay or go and either way experience his kingdom coming through us wherever we're at. We are coming to the end of a sermon series we called Gather and Scatter and we called it that for a reason because God intended we Christians to gather together to be encouraged and strengthen each other but then to scatter all over the place to bring his kingdom wherever we're at. And you've heard me say this before, but as a congregation, we are 4,000 antibodies in a diseased body politic. God has strategically scattered us all over King County through the week in offices and hospitals and schools and neighborhoods to be agents of his kingdom and his healing right where he's at. Not if we're just over there or if we only have this or that. Right where he's put us, he did that strategically. And when we do that, bring his kingdom where we're at, then we don't necessarily need to find a different job or a different house or whatever to be happy. We can find joy even in places that feel like exile. And and to experience that, the text says we need a couple of things. And the first point is going to be the longest, the others are going to go pretty quick. To get and pass on joy, no matter where we're at, first thing we got to do is get comfortable with uncomfortable. After his resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Pretty clear blueprint, don't you think? And yet here we are, eight chapters into the book of Acts, which probably represents a couple of years at least. And where are the disciples? Still in Jerusalem, kind of huddled up in a cozy little community. And churches have a tendency to do that. You know, we, we, just, we just don't venture outside our comfort zone very often. Jesus told us to be fishers of men, and we've become keepers of the aquarium instead. <laughs> the church I worked at in California owned homes for pastors to live in because nobody could afford to buy a house in Silicon Valley. And when I started there, there there wasn't a house for, for me and my wife, but eventually the church was able to buy one. And when the senior pastor told me, he said to me, and this is a direct quote, I'm hoping this house chains and binds you here for decades. Thank you, I guess, right? That's an image of what can happen to us. We can become settlers instead of pioneers. And God didn't cause the persecution in this story that we just read to happen, but he uses it to make the Christian community what it is always intended to be. Gathered to strengthen each other, then scattered to bring the kingdom wherever we find ourselves. And the result of this story is the inclusion of non-Jews for the first time in Christian community. Without this, Christianity would have died in Jerusalem and never become, this is what made it, the worldwide movement that it became. Is it possible that God wants to bring you new joy, new friendships, new life, not if you can only get to some other place or a different job or different geography or move to a different, whatever it is, but right where you're at, even if it feels like exile. You know, we are the only culture to think that there is no value in suffering. Most other cultures know that suffering is bad, it's not good, but that God can bring some redemptive purpose to it. And I'm sure these first Christians, during the persecution, they're probably like, God, where are you? And why aren't you helping? And come on, man. But the result was the persecution led to the scattering, which led to the joy. And we as a culture are the most pain-averse culture in history. And that makes us weaker, and pretty soon small things just start to bug us. I heard a talk recently from Jeremy Affelt. He's a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. And he said that one time he was on the disabled list because they had to remove a blister underneath his fingernail. But they didn't list it that way. They just listed it. He's on the DL for a broken fingernail. And he said, do you know how hard it is to be in the major leagues and have to tell your teammates you're on the DL for a broken fingernail? I think in our culture, our pursuit of safety and comfort shrinks our world. And pretty soon, we end up sometimes on the emotional DL for the equivalent of a broken fingernail. Now, some of you are dealing with real hard stuff, not broken fingernail, really difficult stuff. And they are, those are not good things. But even those things God can use for good. Right before this story, there's a man named Stephen. And as he's being killed by being stoned to death, he asks God to forgive the people who are killing him. And he looks up and he sees Jesus with him. And as a result, he has joy, which leads other people to having joy. Now, I am certainly not telling you to go out and get stoned. I'm certainly not telling you that, right? Or martyred, uh, either way. What I am saying is that what God says to us is what he says to the early Christians. I want you to cross racial, cultural, geographic barriers. Get away from the safe. Get away from the homogenous. Get away from the tranquil. Same thing he says to Abraham. Very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament. Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household. Everything you know. And then the most irritating verse in the Bible. To the land that I will show you. What? Like, more information, man. You know, like, is it a good land? Will I like it? How far is it? Are we there yet? Right? Nothing. No map. No ETA. Just go. We are meant to be a pilgrim people. And Christian community is never meant to be just we four and no more in our holy little huddle. We gather to be encouraged so that we can scatter. And not because God wants to make us miserable. No, no, no. Look what he says to Abraham. Go. Go. Abraham. And I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If you go, you'll find joy, and you'll spread it to others. And there is no map. It's one step at a time. There's no map, but there is a guide. And his name is Jesus. And he will bring the kingdom wherever we're at. This story that we just read today is a great example of God's physics of grace. For every action the devil takes, there is a stronger and opposite reaction of God's grace. So the religious leaders here, they try to destroy the early church, but what happens? It leads to its growth. They try to kill it, it leads to more life. Religious leaders scattered the church, which just led to more gatherings all around the Mediterranean. It's the first game of whack-a-mole in history. The religious leaders are trying to bash the church down. It just keeps popping up in place after place. Here a church, there a church, everywhere a church, church. And no matter what they do, they can't stamp it out. Jesus can give you a -a whack-a-mole life. That's good news today. The more the devil tries to bash you down, the more Jesus is going to pop you up here, there, and everywhere. And this is only in Christianity, unique to Christianity, because the center of our faith is that our God died uh, on a cross. Terrible tragedy. But he uses that, turns it around, uses it for good to purchase our salvation and conquer death by rising from the grave. You see that today in places like China. The communists kicked out all the Western missionaries thinking that that would kill Christianity in China. It did the opposite. It led to its growth because Chinese Christians had become very used to, very dependent on Western missionaries as dispensers of religious services. But with the missionaries gone, then all the Chinese Christians became missionaries themselves, and the result was the church grew. Until now, about 8% of, of the population in China is Christian, 8%. Interestingly enough, it's the exact same percentage of people who go to church in King County, 8%. There's just one difference. Do you know what it is? In China, that number is going up. So here, we've got some work to do. But you see in what's happening in China, what's happening here, God's physics of grace. Oppress them, they love you back. Persecute them, they they respond with joy. Kill them a thousand more, rise up to take their place. You can't stop people like that because you can't stop a Jesus like that. He busted out of that tomb on Easter morning, which means he is busting out all over the world, risen with healing in his wings wherever he goes. Which means he can bring joy, not in spite of the hard place, but right, straight, down the middle, through it. When I first became a Christian, I've shared with you before, I was so shy that it was difficult for me to even go to the store because I might have to talk to the clerk. And I was so shy, that was scary to me. Well, right after I started following Jesus, I began to have panic attacks, which is where you're seized by just intense anxiety. Your heart races, you get dizzy, you can't breathe, you think that you're dying. I had four or five of these a week. And I remember once being outside one night, wandering around the U District in Seattle, trying to calm down from a panic attack, yelling at God, I do not want to live anymore. This is too hard. Help. Why aren't you helping? Two things happened right after that, neither of which seemed good. I was in college. I was a freshman at the time. But I was living by myself in an apartment because I was so shy, I couldn't even think of going to a dorm. Three days after I prayed that prayer, my landlord told me on a Friday afternoon that she had rented the apartment and I had to be out by Sunday night. So I had no choice but to move into the dorm that day, that very day. Then a few days after that, a guy that I had hated since high school, he was my arch enemy, he was so mean to me in high school, he joined the Bible study that I was in at my church. I had forced myself to join this Bible study as an act of my will. I was just getting comfortable there because I was so shy and my enemy joins the Bible study. In response to my prayer all I got was more exile. But as it turned out my roommate in the dorm was a Christian and also very shy. And in fact we did not say literally we did not say one word to each other the entire first day that I moved in. Right? Finally, he said that night, finally he said, I'm going to sleep now. That was our first conversation. (laughs) I am not joking. That was our first conversation. Right? Next morning, though, we got to talking and, you know, over time developed a lifelong friendship. And then one day in my Bible study, my enemy told us that he was having problems with, oh, can you guess, panic attacks. So he and I started meeting a couple of times a week and in the sanctuary at Upress early in the morning, praying for each other, and he also became a lifelong friend. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. The places I thought were exile, dorm, enemy in my Bible study. God brought me joy, not in spite of them, but through them. And I found community in exile, and that was the end of the pan- panic attacks. They never came back. Get comfortable with uncomfortable. Might be a blessing in it. Second, to get and spread kingdom joy wherever we're at, we need to bring resurrection of relationships, of hopes, of people, wherever we're scattered as a community in our schools or offices or neighborhoods. The text here says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, you read that and first you think, well, how did that preaching, how did that lead to joy, right? Like a story someone sent me about a little girl who got restless as the preacher's sermon was kind of dragging on and on. And so she finally whispered to her mother, if we give him the money now, will he let us go? (laughs) Okay, that's just hurtful. Like, there's just no need for that kind of thing. But that's not what these guys did. The, The Greek word there means more than preach. They brought healing wherever they went. It says one disciple named Philip healed people. And with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Wherever we go, we can bring healing of some kind. Now, it may not happen in a dramatic, instant miracle. It might, but it might be just caring for someone in your office or school, and and that heals them, even if you never see the results. To get and give joy wherever we're at, get comfortable with uncomfortable, bring resurrection, and finally embrace the unembraced. First place, the Christians are scattered is to Samaria. Samaritans were mixed-race, half Jewish, half Arab, and Jews considered Samaritans to be heretics, traitors, and very, very unclean. Not only that, in the same chapter, Philip reaches out in love to an Ethiopian eunuch who in that culture would have been considered hyper- unclean for being a eunuch and a foreigner. So what could lead a Jewish man to throw his arms around in love, throw his arms around a hated and despised foreigner? What transcends those? Divisions. Obviously, it's Jesus. And then in the very next chapter, we see Saul, who is chief persecutor of Christians, become a Christian himself, change his name to Paul, and he's welcomed into Christian community. You know, sometimes we want community with people who are just like us, or we want to be part of kind of what we consider the cool crowd. I've had people say to me multiple times, you know, I can't really be friends with so-and-so because they're not, you know, they're not my kind of crowd. And what often that means is they're not cool. And I want to be in the cool crowd or the rich people crowd or the famous people crowd. It's like we never get out of junior high. That is a great way to miss out on a really good friendship that might be right in front of you, in your office or school or church or neighborhood. My college roommate that became my good friend, he was a Filipino immigrant, very different life than mine. And I definitely wasn't part of the cool crowd. But his friendship brought me out of one of the darkest times in my life. As a result of these sermons on community, some of you have just started making community wherever you're at. Some of you have said, you know, like just you've, you've started to go to brunch or to coffee after church with the people who sit in your section. You know, they're there every Sunday because you all sit in the same place. We can take attendance, by the way, because you're always so predictable, right? And and, and so you might as well do something with these people, right? So some of you have just started going to coffee just with grabbing folks in your section. Some of you, a couple of people told me, yeah, I just started a small group. I noticed the same people every Sunday, so we just started a small group. That's awesome. Making community wherever you're at. To get and receive kingdom joy wherever we're at, get comfortable with uncomfortable, bring resurrection, embrace the unembraced. There's a woman who I'll call Terry, whose husband died about seven years ago, leaving her with two young kids. And her husband was raised in this church, and his, his parents, her in-laws, are members here. Well, when her husband died, Terry moved back to Arkansas where she grew up. In fact, bought the house that she grew up in. But her mother had already died, and her father had remarried and moved 45 minutes away, so she saw less of them than she had imagined she'd see. And after a few years, she also got in a relationship, but that didn't work out so well. So Arkansas ended up feeling less like home than she thought it was going to. Well, a little while ago, she was out here visiting her in-laws who she kept in close contact with even after her husband's death. And on the plane ride home, she was praying over her life, and she got one of those thoughts that she knew was not her thought. It had to be God. And the thought said, you know, Ellensburg is a good place to be. Now, she knew that was God because no one thinks that on their own. Right, like that's, that takes divine intervention, right? Especially since she'd never been to Ellensburg. To her, it was just a sign on the road. So she started doing research on cost of living, schools, churches in Ellensburg. little while later, her father-in-law had a mild heart attack. God even used that because she came out here to visit, and while she was here, she and her kids visited Ellensburg. Went to a church that she'd found on the internet, and they just loved it. So she went back to Arkansas and put her house up for sale. And her son said to her, you're really going to do this, aren't you? And she said, yep. And he said, okay, fine, I'll make you a deal. I will joyfully go to Ellensburg if we can go to that church that I went to, that we, went, that we visited. And just to confirm it all, right in the middle of this, one day she opened up her devotional, and, 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 and the passage that day was from the book of Ruth in the Bible, which is a story about a woman whose husband dies, and she follows her mother-in-law back to Israel. But just like folks in the story that we read today had faced struggles and obstacles, so did Terry. She'd put her house up for or she'd rented a house, uh, she put an offer down on a house in Ellensburg, but her house in Arkansas didn't sell, so she had to give up the house in Ellensburg and rent instead. But then after she'd already put all of her stuff on the moving van, it was in route. The house she'd rented fell through. And so now she didn't have a place to live, exile, right? So she that night got on the internet the very next day. She got a call from a woman who'd seen an ad that Terry had posted the night before saying it would help her a lot if Terry would rent from her. So that's what she did. And then a few months later, her house in Arkansas finally sold, and the house she'd originally wanted to buy in Ellensburg was still on the market, only at a much lower cost. So she was able to get that. And now she has made more friends and done more coffees and more lunches in the first three months in Ellensburg than she did the whole time she lived in Arkansas, which was her hometown. She has found community in exile. And they love the church that they're a part of. In fact, that church has a team of people whose ministry it is to help folks move, which I just, another miracle, right? Like what a great ministry because I hate moving, but what an awesome ministry. And I think it would be a great thing if some of you were to do that, (laughs) right? And this team helped her move from her rental to the house that she bought. And afterwards, her son thought that was so much fun that he joined the moving team. And it's been an adjustment for her kids, but they're making new friends. They like their school. Plus, this puts her closer to her husband's parents so her kids can get to know their grandparents a little bit better. It's been a good deal all the way around. Now, I'm a little afraid to tell you that story for fear that your take-home is going to be, I'm never going to pray again because God's going to make me live in Ellensburg. <laughs> that was not the point of that story. The point is this. God was guiding her through a lot of exile experiences. Her husband died. She had to move, uh, move from her hometown. Right, she moved back to her hometown, but doesn't feel like a hometown anymore. She has to move to a different place. All of that, but God blessed her in all of those places. And if God can bless her in Ellensburg, well, then surely He can bless you wherever you're at. If we just do what she did, which is to trust God and do what He says to do. So, where do you feel like you're in exile? Can you get comfortable with uncomfortable? Bring resurrection there. Embrace those who maybe don't feel embraced. And you may find community and joy right there in that place that you think is the least likely. I'll close with this. When my wife and I first moved here, the first few months we were here, we were kind of depressed. You know, I had this big job for which I had no experience. We had two kids in diapers and a third on the way. Missed our friends in California. I mean, y'all were great, but we just didn't know you very well at first. And we had this 10-foot-high hedge in our front yard. And this hedge, it blocked, like, the two rays of sunshine that we get per year and, and, and made the house just kind of darker and isolated us from the rest of the neighborhood. A mighty fortress was our hedge. Well, about four, after we'd been here about four months, we finally removed the hedge, and it was so much better, right? Like more light, we opened ourselves up to our neighbors so we got to know them a little better. I mean, it was a little thing, but how we do little things is how we do everything. And it's like that little thing just opened us up in general to what God had for us in Bellevue. And by then, many of you were becoming great friends. And now, as I've said so many times, my goodness, Bell Press, you're one of the best things that ever happened to us. Here's my point. Wherever you're at, whatever place feels like exile, remove the hedge, Open yourself up to what God can do, not, not if you were just somewhere else or with someone else or if this, that, or the other, but right where you're at, you are a carrier of his kingdom. And when we do that, there will be joy in us and joy in the city. So Jesus, help us to carry your kingdom wherever we go. Lord, ask that you give us eyes to see what you're doing in our offices, homes, neighborhoods. Lord, if we need to move, if we need to make a change, help us to know that. If we need to stay, help us to know that. But either way, help us to carry your kingdom and know your love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.